Welcome to Take Command, a Dale Carnegie podcast, the show where we seek to uncover what leadership means in today's world. I'm Joe Hart, CEO of Dale Carnegie, and we will be talking to diverse leaders with stories to tell across various industries to help unlock your potential for success. We will be sharing real life insights into leadership, which in turn can help spark the next level of your growth as a leader. Today's guest is an entrepreneur and philanthropist who is focused on creating a healthier, greener, and more empowered world. She is known for her appearances on the BBC television series, The Apprentice UK, and for her inclusion in the Forbes 30 Under 30 list. Her company, Tropic Skincare, is recognized as the fastest growing skincare brand in the UK and was recently ranked by JP Morgan as the 14th best woman-owned business in the UK. We are excited to welcome the founder and CEO of Tropic Skincare, Susie Ma. Susie, welcome to the Dale Carnegie Take Man podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Joe. It's such a pleasure to be here. Well, thank you. I'm excited to have you here. And one of the neat things about you, and there's many neat things about you, is, I mean, you've started a business literally from nothing. You were 15 years old. You overcame so many obstacles to do that. And this business is not only a fast-growing one in the UK, but it's one that really is part of where your heart is because it goes to being holistic and natural and so forth. So we want to hear all about Tropic Skin Care. And before we do, tell us about you. How did you get started? What led to the creation of this company? <laughs> so in order to tell you that, Joe, I'm going to take you all the way back. So I actually was very much inspired by my parents who were entrepreneurs in their own rights. And I remember when I used to live in Sydney when I was a kid, and my parents were, they were street vendors and they used to sell stuff, importing toys and souvenirs from China and literally sell them on the streets in Sydney. And I used to go and help them in the streets. And one of the products that they sold was like this little plastic man that had like sticky hands and feet. I don't know if you recall, you throw it onto like the side of a window and it flips down. So I used to help them do that. I used to literally flip these little guys like up onto the windows and then watch them flip down and scream like, it's a dollar, like come and buy it. So I kind of grew up helping my parents earn money and hustle and really understand how to sell, how to market and how to engage with customers. How old were you when you were doing that? I was six years old when I was selling with my parents. So six years old, that's pretty incredible. No, absolutely. So that was when I got my first taste of business, if you like, and just really realizing that if you needed to make some money and my parents really did, we did not have it easy, that you go out there and you do what you can. You know, my parents, they were actually both mechanical engineers, but when they moved to Australia from China, because they couldn't speak the language, they couldn't get a job in mechanical engineering where, you know, you need to have fluent English at the very least. And so they decided to start up on their own and do something with their own backs. So I was very much inspired by just how entrepreneurial they are. And also I just really admired their hard work and their ability just to do whatever it takes to make ends meet. And fast forward a few years, my parents actually divorced and my mother and I decided to move halfway across the world to London. And we kind of went back to square one. 
back in Australia after a few years of my parents working as street vendors, they then worked at market stalls, they were able to afford to buy a house and I went to a really good school and our life was really on the up. But when my parents got divorced and my mum and I moved to London, it felt like we were starting from scratch again. And my mum worked at a market stall in Greenwich Market in London and we lived in this tiny little flat. And very quickly, we again, we struggled to make ends meet. And my mum said to me one month and she just said, look, I don't know if we can stay here anymore because we are like six months behind on the rent. We are so far behind on all the utility bills to the extent that our water bills, our electricity bills, everything was on the verge of being cut off. And so we probably will have to move back to Australia. And at that stage, I was 15 years old. I really was loving my life in London. I made a lot of friends and my parents being back together again in Australia just didn't work because they just weren't good for each other. And it was a really unhappy and violent household. It was a situation I didn't want to get back in. And I knew that my mum didn't want to get back into either. So I thought to myself, well, what can I do to help my mum earn some money? And I thought about what my parents did as street vendors and what my mum was doing working at the market, selling toys and souvenirs at Greenwich Market. And I thought, well, what could I sell that could help my mum earn some extra money? We moved from Sydney up to Cairns later on in my life when we lived in Australia. And when we were up in Cairns in tropical North Queensland, Australia, I used to make this amazing product with my grandmother. And it was this beautiful body scrub made with local ingredients. There was fresh sea salts, there was macadamia oil, jojoba oil, and it smelled of these beautiful essential oils of lemon myrtle and eucalyptus and bergamot. And these essential oils and oils and salts came together into this amazing product that exfoliated your skin and then left your skin feeling silky soft and also helped to prevent the mosquitoes from biting you. And I just thought, I love this product. It reminds me of sunshine, reminds me of cans, reminds me of Australia. And I love it so much that maybe, just maybe, if I made this product up myself here in the UK, that other people might like it too and buy it from me. And so I borrowed 200 pounds off of my mum. It was some of the last money that she had. And with that 200 pounds over one summer school holiday, I bought 50 jam jars, which was the cheapest packaging that I could find. I then went ahead and bought all the different ingredients that my grandma put in that recipe. I then decided to call the product Tropic simply because of the tropical origin of the ingredients. I then went to my school over the summer school holidays and I designed my logo in Microsoft Paint and Word. And I printed my labels out onto A4 pieces of paper, cut them out into strips and then stuck them onto my jam jars with glue stick. And then I took my 50 jam jars of freshly made body scrubs to Greenwich Market on a store next to my mum's. And I started hustling. You know, I had my two mixing bowls for my mum to kind of had my customers hands over. And then I had two sports water bottles filled with water. And I would wash my customers' hands with the body scrub over my mixing bowls and then dry their hands for them tell them about this product that I made by myself at home in my mom's kitchen and explain to them about the ingredients and how they worked. And that's how the business started. On that very first day when I went to Greenwich, I said to my mom that I was going to earn 80 pounds for her in profit to try and pay off the water bill, which we were so far behind on. But actually by the end of that very first day, I sold out all of my body scrubs at 20 pounds each. So I had 50, I took one as a tester, to demonstrate 
and I sold 49 body scrubs, 20 pounds each. That was 980 pounds in cash in my very first day of selling my body scrubs at a market stall when I was 15 years old over the so, summer school holidays. So Susie, what is going through your mind at that time? At the end of that day, what are you thinking? What's going through your mind? Oh my God, my mind was blown. As I was doing my demonstrations, I remember having like a big bucket next to me, which is where I would put like the dirty dead skin cell water. And this bucket was like filling up. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, every time this bucket fills up to the top, it's like 200 pounds in my pocket. Cause I had to keep on emptying up the buckets. And every time I emptied the bucket, I would count the money that was in my bag because not everyone bought. I had to keep on doing loads of demonstrations. And I worked out that each bucket was 200 pounds. And at the end of the day, I remember not counting the last two times, but I was counting the buckets of dead skin cell water that I was throwing away. At the very, very last moment of the day, I threw away my fifth bucket of dead skin cell water. And I remember thinking in my head, I was like, oh my God, if my math is correct, that could be like a thousand pounds, which is insane. I'm 15, like a thousand pounds is going to be enough to pay off the entire rent for the whole month. And I remember not counting my money, just going home with my mum. And as soon as we got home, I took out all the cash out of my pockets. I was wearing a little denim skirt and this yellow halter neck top with these tiny little pockets in the front that were bulging. I took out all the money and my mum and I just started counting the money up and we got to 980. We just cried with happiness and just realizing that like this was it. This was the beginning of something incredible. And that was the beginning of everything. So after that stage, every single evening after school, after doing my homework, I'd be making body scrubs with my mum. And then every single weekend, I'd be there at Greenwich Market with my mum selling the body scrubs. You know, we did the math. We figured out how much I needed to work, how much we needed to sell in order to pay the bills comfortably. And our dream was ultimately to buy a house together that we didn't have to rent, that we could put a deposit down for. And that's what we worked towards. And it felt amazing. It had to be incredible. Even that moment when you and your mom were back and you're counting this, I'm just blown away by what you'd achieved. I'm curious because I think about our listeners and sometimes there are things that hold us back. We Mm -hmm. might have vision for ourselves. You were motivated by necessity to some degree. Well, was there any part of you in that first day even, or the days that followed, that had to overcome fear or something that said, this isn't going to work. Why should I do this? Maybe I should do something else. Maybe I should get a job instead. I mean, what Mm -hmm. were the things that were going on inside of you? Did you have anything that you had to overcome in doing that? I mean, so many fears. So my mom and I moved over here to the UK when I was 13 years old. And we actually started struggling almost immediately. Neither of us had anticipated how expensive it was going to be living in London. There were unfortunate events that happened that made us go into debt very quickly. And actually, when I was 13, pretty much as soon as we arrived here, I thought about starting up a business. I thought about selling my grandma's recipe, selling a body scrub, which was the only thing I knew how to make. I thought about working in that store next to my mom. And actually it took two years of thinking, going backwards and forwards, being afraid. You know, I normally just tell the story of, I was 15 and I started my business, but people don't realize that it took me two years to muster up the courage to actually get it done. How did you do that? How did you overcome that fear? you know, it was one thing after another. It was, let's do it. Oh no, I don't have the confidence. I'm just 13 years old. I can't do it. And then I would have my friend's birthday party and I'd go to my friend's birthday party and everyone's giving her loads of presents and everything. And I've got nothing to give to my best friend. And she's looking at me and thinking, why haven't you gotten me a birthday present? 
And I'm thinking, oh my God, I can't give her a birthday present because we literally can barely put food on the table, but I'm too embarrassed to say. And then I come home and then I'm thinking, oh, if only I had started my business. If only I had done this, that I could have money. I only needed like five pounds to give to my friend as a birthday present. So it was like a series of events that just made me a little bit stronger every time. And every single time I felt like the underdog, you know, the person who couldn't afford to go to that school trip or couldn't afford to buy that nice outfit. And that other bill coming through, my mom's crying again, feeling hopeless again. Every single time that happened, I felt a little bit more resilient, a little bit more determined. And then in the end, it was just like, screw it. What's the worst that can happen? The worst thing that could happen was that we lose 200 pounds and then we're really broke, but we were really broke anyway. It takes time, but you've got to question how much do you want it? And I think over the two years, how much I wanted it, the money and the opportunity to be able to have nice things in life just skyrocketed to an extent where it surpassed the fear that I had, surpassed the doubt that I had. There's an incredible saying about everything we want is on the other side of fear, right? I mean, yeah. we do everything we want, but we have to go through that fear to do that. And it's inspiring to hear how you took command. This is the Take Command podcast. And certainly it's an inspiration to all of us who are listening to you, you know, that those things that we made fear, take a chance. What's the worst that can happen? So what happens is you've got this amazing summer. You've had this discovery. You're selling this product. What happened next? What did you do next? So we grew very organically. I mentioned earlier that my mom and I would buy all the ingredients. We upscale, so we buy the ingredients in bulk. We transformed our living room, our kitchen into a full-scale body scrub making factory. And every single weekend, every summer school holiday, I'd start selling my body scrubs. Like every weekend, rain or shine, I would be there. And, you know, we had that first amazing, incredible day, but there were plenty of days when I went home with negative money because after paying the rent, after paying for the travel and my food, I didn't sell enough. And there were plenty of days when I would hide under the table and just have a little cry to myself and think, what am I doing this all for? There were days in the winter where I would literally stand on a piece of flattened cardboard to insulate my feet because it was so cold and no one wanted to stop and take off their gloves so that I could give them a hand treatment and make their hands feel soft. You know, it's the last thing that people wanted to do. And so, it wasn't easy, but one thing that really focused us, and you know, you talk about this podcast being called Take Command. The biggest thing that we wanted to take command of was our self-reliance on our own income, like not needing to be in debt, not needing to go to these loan sharks and asking for money. And the way that we saw that self-reliance and that self-sufficiency was if we were able to own our own house and to put a deposit down on a property that was our own, that we weren't just paying the rent towards somebody else, we were paying towards our own asset. And so my mom and I actually thought about our dream house and I really believe in manifestation. And I drew a picture of the house that I wanted my mom and I to live in with a little chimney and a beautiful front garden and nice windows. And I stuck this picture of this house to the back of our front door so that every single day, whether I was going to school or going to work, I'd be reminded as to why I was working so hard and what I was doing this for. And it was because of that picture that kind of gave me other ideas in terms of growing the business. Because when you see that picture every day, you realize actually making 100 pounds, 200 pounds a weekend is not going to cut it. I need to find out ways to scale this business. And so I started hiring my friends. 
I asked everyone and anyone and their parents, anyone who wanted to sell my products. I'm like, come sell my products. My mom and I will make them. You can go to other markets across London and I'll pay you 20% commission. And I had about four or five friends working for me at various markets across London. We did events as well. We did lots of different things and they crushed it. They were happy. They got their commission. I got my money. And actually after just two or three years, our goal came true. My mom and I were able to put a deposit down on not a massive house, but still a house, you know, with a garden or a front garden, exactly like how I drew that we were able to move into. And that was still to this day, probably the happiest day of my life. That's amazing. Um, what do you think about where yeah. you started to and all the struggle to be able to have that house? And mm -hmm. sounds like an incredibly happy moment for you both. I think I was coming up to my 18th birthday. It felt like I was going to adulthood and being able to put that deposit down with my mom. It was an incredible feeling. Yeah. You've had the success. You have the house. Now, is Tropic Skincare, does the company exist yet? Have you formed it? Do you have a vision for it? Because you go off to college also at some point here too. Exactly. So Tropic was never in my mind supposed to be a career. In my mind, it was always a stepping stone. You know, I remember when I first started thinking about this house, I remember speaking to my careers advisor at school and asking her, you know, back then I was like, oh, the most important thing in life is making loads of money. So I said to her, I was like, what job can I do that is going to get me the most amount of money fastest? Because whatever that job is, you tell me what I need to study at college and you tell me what I need to do to get there. And she said, well, if you really just care about money, you want to go into investment banking, they make a lot of money. If you want to trade something like foreign exchange, do that. That'll make you a lot of money. You need to study economics. You need to study maths and you need to do some kind of degree in economics and finance to get to that job. And so that's exactly what I did. And in the back of my mind, I thought I'll work pretty hard in my business to make this money. It wasn't a real company. I hadn't like properly incorporated or anything. It was literally a market store business. I'll make enough money so I could go to university so I could get loads of money. And then I'll live happily ever after. I'll run off into the hills and, you know, retire early. That's what I thought was going to happen. But what ended up happening was I got to 18. I bought my mom the house. I went off to college. We call it university here in the UK. I actually did exactly what my careers advisor said. I was an A-star student. I did really well in my exams. I went to a top university in London called UCL. I studied economics and I got a job at Citigroup trading exactly what she told me to trade, which was FX, foreign exchange. And I remember sitting there at my desk at my first job when I was 21 and I just graduated. And by this time, I'd actually stopped my business to start this new job. So I actually packed Tropic up probably around about halfway through my second year of uni. And I was like, I'm done, served its purpose. It's made its money. I've paid my way through university. I bought a house for my mom. I actually had bought a second investment property for my mom as well. And I'm ready to get into my job and start a whole new career in finance. And so I was there sitting at my job when I was 21. And I remember my very first week being so excited. It was everything I'd ever worked for. And then coming to the end of the week thinking, I didn't enjoy that as much as working at a market stall and like collecting dead skin cell water and making my customers hands fill stuff. And I just thought, oh, I'll just try another week and see how I feel. And week after week after week, I very quickly realized that I didn't just want to be working in a job where I was earning good money, that I wanted to be working in a job that I was actually enjoying myself, 
to be perfectly honest with you, I had no passion for finance, Joe. I had no passion for whatever it is that I was trading. I had no interest in what interest rates were going to be in countries around the world to, to speculate if the exchange rates were going up or down or what I should buy and what I should trade. All the other people that were working around me, all the other interns who are new at their job were like really inquisitive and they were going up to their bosses and asking loads of questions. And I'm naturally a very curious person, but I had no questions because I had no interest. And I remember saying this to my friend and I just said, look, I don't know what to do. I'm in supposedly my dream job, something that I've worked towards my whole life through my education, my studies, and even my business was to get me to this position so I could run off into the sunset with this happy job and loads of money. And here I am being paid really well, but I'm hating every single day. And my friend just said, well, you're clearly in the wrong job. And why don't you try something else? Like if you really love your business, why don't you restart your business? And why don't you apply for investment to get it off the ground more so that you're not just working in a market store and in your mom's kitchen? And I was like, that is an excellent idea. And actually it was that same friend who said, oh, but did you know that there's a show called The Apprentice that used to be a hundred thousand pound job with Alan Sugar, who is, I suppose, the British equivalent to Donald Trump but a much nicer man. And she said in that year, that was the first time that they had just changed the process from a hundred thousand pound job with Alan Sugar to a quarter of a million pound investment into your business for a 50-50 partnership. And I just thought, what am I going to lose? I'm just going to apply for this. And so I applied for this opportunity. There were 73,000 cans that applied for this investment. And I was very lucky to be one of the 16 candidates that made it onto the show. And I ended up being on TV and I got to the final, but I was actually fired in the final, but it didn't matter anyway, because when I was fired, I realized that when it was going to air on TV, we were going to get a hell of a lot of publicity and Tropical was going to be everywhere, showing to millions of people across the UK. So I actually restarted my business. I quit my job, I restarted my business and I was like ready with my website and with all of my products for when the show aired on TV. And when it did, it was like my website exploded I sold out of everything I made so much money within like a weekend there was so much publicity it was amazing and at the same time Lord Sugar watched the series back and I think my business partner has a lot of similarities in the way that he started he also started when he was a kid at a market stall and I think he saw a lot of synergies between the two of us and he's a billionaire I suppose he has some money to spare and he got in touch and we had a conversation and he asked me, look, Susie, how much money do you want if I were to invest in your business? And I said to him, well, you didn't give me the investment for a quarter of a million. How about 200,000 for a 50% share? And he said, yes. And that was when I was 21. And that was that, like, that was the beginning of the next stage of my business. When Lord Sugar got involved, he became a 50% partner. I was then able to move out of my mom's kitchen into a dedicated warehouse. I was able to employ staff for the first time and just expand production to make more products and to upscale our packaging, move out of my jam jars into proper packaging. And that was the beginning of the next chapter that really kind of fueled the subsequent growth. It's just powerful to hear this story. I mean, just kind of how you went from thing to thing. But it sounds like when you were on The Apprentice, you were still employed in your job. You hadn't really started Tropic Skincare at that time. And it just mm -hmm. kind of one thing led to the next. And then you had that success. And all of a sudden, it just really took off. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I never wanted to put all of my eggs in one basket. And I really believe that in life, you need to have like a plan B. And that's why when I was doing my business, when I was a kid, you know, my business was like my plan B in a way that if I didn't have my studies or anything else, at least I knew how to make money. But my plan A at that time was to study really hard and to have a degree and, you know, to have a career at the end of it. And then when I was working at Citigroup, it was like that suddenly became my plan B. My starting up Tropic again was like my plan A. I always liked the idea of if you're going to start something new, don't just throw everything into it. It takes the pressure and the stress away if you dabble a little bit. You know, you don't need to go all in and get everything sorted out. You can just dabble, like go to a market store, like make a product in your kitchen and go out there and do market research, you know, just be really rough with it. Things don't have to be perfect. And that's what happened when Lord Sugar invested, you know, he invested 200,000 pounds, but actually when you really think about it, 200,000 pounds isn't a huge amount of money. That's barely enough to get by with marketing and advertising and packaging and all the other things we had to pay for. That money went very, very quickly. And so even in the very beginning of when Lord Sugar first invested, we still had to be very, very scrappy. And we still had to think very carefully and clearly about what we were doing to make sure that we were profitable and that we were scaling at the right speed. It must have at one sense felt like, great, we've got this investment, but then once you have it, and certainly having started a business myself, I know what that's like. <laughs> and really yeah. funny to make every single penny go as far as you can. So where is Tropic Skincare today in contrast to mm -hmm. where you started? One of the fastest growing companies in the UK. You're mm -hmm. really becoming more dominant brand. I know you're looking to expand. Give us a little more of a sense of where things are today. Sure. So today we are in a whole different world to where we were 10 years ago when Lord Sugar first invested. So back then we decided to go into the direct selling model, which was almost exactly what I did with my friends. So back then when I had my friends selling with me on commission, I paid them 20% commission. We decided to have ambassadors who would sell our products and pay them a basic 25% commission, up to 35% commission. And we started the business with 400 customers who loved our products, who became our founding ambassadors. And fast forward 10 years, we now have 20,000 ambassadors who are selling our products up and down the country in the UK only. We haven't yet spread our wings internationally yet. And they're doing amazing. They really, really are doing amazing. I couldn't be more proud of them. We have become the UK's fastest growing beauty brand. And I think one of the largest privately owned beauty brands. We still make all of our products in-house, you know, in the same way that I used to make them in my mom's kitchen. Apart from the fact that we now have almost 300 different products across our range. And we've gone beyond just our body scrub. We're actually market leaders in skincare. So we do lots of cleansers and serums and moisturizers for the face. We also do sun care and body care and makeup, tanning, bronzing. We have a line of baby care, men's care, hair care. So we do a lot of different products across different categories. But, you know, the core principles of who we are and what we really believe and stand for has always remained the same. So if you recall, my first product that I created was inspired by my grandmother. She was actually a medicinal chemist and a toxicologist. And she really taught me the importance of using natural ingredients, products that were really healthy for your skin from the outside in. And all of our formulations today still follow that same ethos. So we use ingredients that are as close to nature as possible. All of our skincare products are organic certified. 
we freshly make our products every single day in our beauty kitchen so that it can have the most powerful active antioxidants. Because if you think about it, the ingredients we use in skincare, the really good quality ones are basically food ingredients. You know, all the ingredients I mentioned to you earlier, like macadamia oil and jojoba oil, like you can eat all of that. You can use that as salad dressing. We're putting that into skincare. And so you want to eat foods as fresh as possible. You also want to be applying skincare on your skin that are as fresh as possible. And that's why we make our skincare products fresh every single day in our beauty kitchen. And on top of that, it was really important to me that we give back. You know, we have really humble roots. And with everything that's going on in the world, I wanted to make sure that this business really is a force for good that gives back to the world. You know, I want to make sure that, especially when we're in the beauty industry, where, dare I say it, that the beauty is not a necessity for our lives. We are the only creatures that moisturizes and cleans our faces. No other animal does that. No other animal needs to moisturize or you don't hear about a lion shampooing his hair. Beauty is not a necessity. And so when you look at the amount of emissions beauty companies produce, the amount of plastic waste beauty companies produce, one third of all waste in landfill is comprised of beauty products. I want to make sure that we are not contributing to the problem around the world, that we are actually helping to solve it. And that's why we committed to donate 10% of all of our profits to good causes to help towards our infinite purpose, which is to help create a healthier, greener, and more empowered world. And that's doing everything from making sure that our factory is run on renewable energy, that we send zero waste to landfill, that we offset all of our carbon that we emit by double, that we look at minimizing our use of virgin plastics, that we plant trees and build forests in the UK and around the world, that we help to conserve the oceans and restore coral reefs, and the biggest thing that we do now is actually helping to fund education, to educate the next generation of children who otherwise would not have had that opportunity so that they can have brighter features and help solve some of these issues that we're facing right now, you know? And we're really proud to partner with an amazing charity called United World Schools. The last year alone, we helped to support over 10,000 children in education. And that's really what we stand for today a beauty business that goes beyond just beauty, that really uses everything that we have to be that force for good for the planet. And I couldn't be more proud of where we are today. You know, from my mum and I in her little kitchen, actually 18 years ago when we first started, we now have about 400 people who work at our Tropic HQ who design, manufacture, pick, pack, dispatch, and market our products every single day. It's just been a wonderful journey. It's an incredible story and an incredible success. And that doesn't happen, by the way, without great leadership. You're very humble in terms of how you explain the whole story of, you know, creating a product and selling it and so forth. But how do you define leadership? And what can we learn from your leadership that really has helped Tropic Skin Care be as successful as it is? So I feel very blessed that I've had the most incredible people in this business and in terms of leadership, I suppose it's just making sure that you are genuinely leading and not managing. And leadership for me is making sure that your team are aligned with a bigger purpose than just their role that presents itself. So if they are a salesperson, it's not to say you're doing a good job if you sell this many products, it's to say that hey, did you realize that what you're doing is helping towards making the world a better place, that your sales are directly contributing to children being educated? 
and aligning themselves with the bigger goals of the business and allowing them to see that their role has a much bigger purpose so that they feel a sense of ownership and pride in what they do and making sure that, you know, as a leader, you don't always get things right. Encouraging your team to challenge you, to disagree with you, to come up with ideas that are different to yours and then congratulating them on that, listening to what they have to say. Because I have to say like, a lot of the most brilliant ideas that we've ever had at Tropic have come from my team. They are the ones who are doing what they're doing in their focused areas of the business. And they're the ones who are seeing everything. And they're the ones who are actually coming up with much better ideas than I ever can. So it's allowing them to run with it, giving them the trust. The things that I love to say to my team is, I trust you completely. I'll leave it to you. And when you say that, they're like, oh my God, okay, I have ownership. Susie's leaving it to me completely. She trusts me. I can't just ask her if this is okay. You know, I need to understand what the task is and I need to make sure that this is done right because she's put her trust in me and really trust them, really let them get on with it. That to me is real leadership. And that is when you get the best out of people. Well, in one of the constant themes I'm hearing from great leaders and I'm hearing it from you right now goes to humility because you really have to be humble to say, I don't have all the answers. I'm going to rely on my team. I'm going to empower mm -hmm. my team. I want to listen to my team. And then you see, like you did, I mean, these amazing ideas that people will have when they feel empowered, when they're given that runway. One thing I was going to ask you too, I know that Dale Carnegie is somebody who's had an influence on you in terms of how you built your team and your relationship. You've read How to Win Friends and Influence People. And I know you clearly live the Dale Carnegie principles, which is one of the reasons why I was excited to interview you too. Tell us about what Dale Carnegie's meant to you. Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, was the very first book of that kind. Like, I think it was the first nonfiction book that I'd read outside of my school curriculum or what I had to read with school. And I read that book when I was a teenager. I don't know how old I was, but it was right at the beginning of Tropic. And those core principles that he teaches in his book were principles that I applied almost immediately to my everyday life. And I don't know what the effect it has made, but it's clearly made a really great one. You know, the principles of just really simple things like when you're on the phone, making sure that you sound like you're smiling. I do that. You know, I did that in the early days with my suppliers who did not want to work with me because my MOQs, you know, my order quantity was so tiny. But because I said it with a smile, maybe they were more willing to sell to me. Making sure that you repeat the person's name that you're speaking to, to acknowledge them, to make sure that they feel like you are really understanding and you're really listening to what they have to say. I use that every single day, listening more than you speak, you know, using languages like we instead of I, little things like that that you pick up in Dale Carnegie's books. These are principles that you can apply, not just in business, but in personal relationships in every single day life. And it has made a profound impact on my life. And actually that's the whole reason why we then started using Dale Carnegie with my leadership team to help empower them. And I suppose that's why we're here today as well, Jay. Our team in London has really enjoyed working with your team. And thank you for trusting us to work with your top leaders. It's something that we consider an honor and something we're excited about. It's exciting to be a part of the success that you are continuing to achieve. What do you see for the future for yourself? And what kind of fuels you as you think about the years ahead? I think what fuels me is just being able to see what we can now do. You know, with every passing year, I see the difference that we can make. In the beginning of this year, for example, when most companies are looking at Q1 and looking at figures and how much money they've made, how much profit they've made, we ended Q1 with having 
planted our first ever forest in the UK, in the South Downs. We planted 7,000 trees that we were able wow. to go there and see. We also went to Nepal and opened up our second school and met the children who were gonna be educated there. And we entered Q1 of this year thinking, oh my God, look at the difference. Look at this forest that's gonna exist for decades to come, generations that are gonna enjoy this forest, the creatures, the insects that are gonna be thriving in this forest. And then these children whose lives are changed forever because finally they have a chance to go to school. And then you think, wow, well, if that's what we're doing in Q1 of this year, what can we do in Q2? What can we do for the rest of this year? What can we do in the next 10 years? And seeing the possibilities, you know, I now look at all the challenges in this world, whether it's climate change, whether it's inequality, I don't look at it with sadness anymore. I look at it with opportunity and a real desire for change. And I feel that if we can be that brand that inspires other brands to do the same, then that's my job done. And already we're seeing it. You know, when I talk to United Well Schools, they say that they've had other beauty brands get in touch. They've seen what we do and how much we donate and the impact that we make and how it resonates with our customers. And they want to do the same thing. Fantastic. We're developing technologies that make our packaging more sustainable. And we're deciding not to put patents on those things because we want people to copy us. We want other brands to think, oh my gosh, we haven't invested into sustainable packaging that doesn't use any virgin plastic. Tropic has, and they're growing and they're doing really well. Maybe we should too. You know, we want to be that force for good. And the beauty industry is one that is really lagging behind in terms of sustainability, in terms of responsibility for the planet. And so I see that there's a lot of work to do and I'm excited about showing the world just how much difference you can make. And also showing people that, no matter who you are or where you're from and how old you are, you can make a difference. You could be literally a 15-year-old girl who's completely broke with a body scrub and a jam jar, and you can end up building schools and making the world a greener and happier place. If we can just continue to change lives in that way, that's where my purpose is at. And I know that that's where we're all aligned with our 20,000 ambassadors and with all the team that we have at Tropic. And it's what makes us get out of bed every morning and makes our jobs more worthwhile. Well, you're driven by your passion. You're driven by meaning and impact. I can't help but observe that when you started your career and you were thinking about making as much money as you can, but right now, mm -hmm. meeting with you, I can see just how happy and passionate you are about the impact that you're making and being really a light to other companies and other people. I can't let you go without asking if people want to buy your products and they're not in the UK, can they do that? Can they go online? How can people get Tropic Skincare products? Yeah, of course. So you can buy that on our website. It's tropicskincare.com. You can follow us on our Instagram. It's Tropic Skincare. It's just Tropic Skincare across the board, across all of our handles. But yeah, but one day we will be in the US. You know, I want to make sure that we're scaling at a sustainable rate, that we never compromise on our infinite purpose to help create a healthier, greener, more empowered world. And we're doing things, you know, for the right reasons. But we will be in the US one day and we will be around the world one day too. Well, we look forward to that. And Susie, Thank it's you, phenomenal talking with you today. Thank you for being with me. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. In today's Thought Leadership Spotlight segment, our guest will show how we can make a difference by applying one of Dale Carnegie's principles and succeeding while having fun. Like Susie Ma, our guest reminds us to go the extra mile on projects and never forget to enjoy the memorable experiences at work. Please welcome... 
Senior Performance Consultant at Dale Carnegie Training London, Yudeshi Nadu. During my adolescent years, I recall so fondly my mom's success as a beauty advisor and distributor. Now, without delivery options back then, my mom personally delivered her orders to her clients by car or walking to their homes. Some of her clients also chose to come home because my mom was very talented and used to have these delicious home-baked treats always on hand. So when I reflect back on those experiences, because there were times that I would accompany her, she only spent a little time talking about the products and the special offerings. The remainder of those times during a cup of tea and some snacks was talking about recipes or outings and family events, topics which brought joy smiles and often laughter to the conversation. Now these clients became her friends for life with repeat orders for many years. And my mom was incredibly successful having won an array of awards often featured in the top tier of her region. Back to the modern world of business. This was a very similar symbiotic experience at Tropic HQ. Whenever the Dale Carnegie team was delivering training we really felt the love. In addition to the excellent and engaging training delivery, some of those memorable moments were spent discussing our skincare challenges and experiencing those tropic samples, which are incredibly impressive. Our team, without a doubt, went that extra mile on this project and the results and feedback were simply outstanding. So these reflections have reminded me of how Dale Carnegie's principles and his body of work can ignite our work life with memorable experiences and fun, just as Susie shared on her journey towards creating a purpose-driven brand, as we know of Tropic today. I am determined now more than ever before to live by Dale Carnegie's quote, people really succeed unless they have fun doing it. And this is what truly matters alongside the business of the day. I hope you enjoyed this edition of Take Command, a Dale Carnegie podcast. Check out our resources page at www.dalecarnegie.com for more research, insight, and tools that will support your success in taking command of your leadership potential. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating it and subscribing to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. As always, thank you for listening, and we look forward to you joining us for the next episode of Take Command, a Dale Carnegie podcast.